Hello, good morning, and welcome. It's Tuesday, the 19th of November, 2019, and we're back with episode 127. Please don't forget to leave five stars and a written review on Apple Podcasts if you enjoy this show, and be sure to follow me on all social media at Autonomous Hogue. So today we've got a fantastic conversation with Alex Thibault. Alex is the VP and GM for North America at Vulog. They make the back-end solutions, including software and hardware, for ride-sharing companies around the world. Alex is coming at us from the LA Auto Show, and I'm thrilled and honored to have been invited amongst the select few members of the media to break to you the news that they're announcing today for the first time about an exciting new partnership. So hope you're sitting comfortably. 40 Minutes with Alex Thibault, VP and GM, North America, at Vulog, begins now. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. So, Alex, good of you to join me. Thanks so much for being here. Very glad to be here, Mark. Thanks for having me. No, it's my pleasure. Um, as we discussed a bit offline, you know, it's pretty exciting for me to learn a bit about Vulog or Vulog, or I guess en français, Vulog. Uh, Vulog. <laughs> you can stick with Vulog. We'll make it work. Vulog? All right, let's do Vulog. Um, yeah, so, so I mean, you know, I'm really excited to hear a bit about your background. It looks like both of us had some time well spent at UCLA, so go Bruins, although I guess you were there for yeah, business can, school. Can, Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I uh, graduated in 2011, so uh, almost a decade ago. Can't believe uh, it's been that long, honestly. Wow, that's that's about when I finished law school. Well, no, a little law school was 08, but yeah, okay, that's pretty wild. Close, close <laughs> enough, close enough. Yeah, right, I, also, awesome. I unfortunately also have a legal background before that. Uh, so I came. Oh, into, that's right, you do. Yeah, so I came that's into right. B school after, uh, what, three, four years of uh, M&A practice, uh, you know, general practice, uh, practicing in Canada. So uh, Anderson was a nice change of pace for me to be able to, I mean, kindle with, uh, you know, some, I guess, grow some roots in California and, uh, you know, get away from, from the law game as much as I could. <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> Well, cool. Well, why don't you walk me through a bit about kind of your background, both sort of individually, but also with respect to Vulog and kind of tell me a bit about how this all kind of got off the ground, because unless I'm mistaken, Vulog's been around for quite a while, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, let's let's split those two things up, I guess. Um, I'm a, I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, so right after business school, uh, started a company or I guess a new division of our family's company that was uh, all technology uh, and we developed software platforms uh, for document generation actually so kind of connected to the legal space um, so, so did that for a few years then we ended up selling the company and uh, I was uh, actively looking for sort of my next thing afterwards and uh, found kind of randomly on LinkedIn a company called Vulog that was uh, that was looking for someone to kind of spearhead stuff into North America. Uh, and back then, uh, the company uh, provided uh, car sharing uh, 
solutions. Uh, so pretty different than what we're doing today. Now we're, uh, we're an end-to-end platform uh, that powers pretty much any mobility need uh, with an extremely, extremely flexible platform. Uh, and what we offer is we offer that core platform, but we also offer the hardware that goes in a vehicle in order for that vehicle to get connectivity onto the platform. We have uh, applications that are mobile applications that are white labeled uh, by our customers. And uh, we offer a ton of back office tools as well, uh, whether it be applications for the fleet agents that are, you know, running around the city when there's a car share, you know, vehicles need to be cleaned and whatnot. Uh, and, you know, all the other tools, the, you know, the, everything that you can need for your CRM, uh, for uh, vehicle management, damage reporting, et cetera, et cetera. So our platform is an end to end to power those solutions. Now, when I was kind of looking for, for my next step, I wanted something that kind of gave me a little bit more of a, a range of new things that I could connect with. Uh, and, and I came from a SaaS, pure SaaS world. Uh, and there was an opportunity here to go into something that was much more comprehensive, you know, a little bit of hardware, uh, a ton of APIs, uh, and it's something that was much more uh, flexible. So, uh, so back then, they had a small presence here uh, in North America. They had uh, pretty much one project manager that was just doing one project uh, most of his time. Uh, and uh, yeah, I decided to, to hop on a board. And uh, indeed, uh, things have taken us here. Now it's been three years and uh, been, it's been, pretty, pretty, been a pretty good ride, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at some of your clients uh, on your website. I mean, you've got a bunch of different car sharing platforms all over the world, including Volkswagen's uh, e-sharing platform, uh, Wibble, I guess, in Madrid, Poppy, Antwerp, and Brussels, and Belgium, and there's a, there's one in DC, Free to Move. I mean, so so how is um, oh, and I guess Get Around has a, has a spinoff or at least a subsidiary, I suppose. Lev, yeah, Lev, Rotterdam. Lev's a project. Yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, how how did this? I mean, how did all these guys get on board? Like, is this something that you you kind of reached out to them? I mean, I mean, building a platform from the ground up to kind of provide all the things to all the ride sharing companies. Because I'm guessing this theoretically, at least, you could also help say some of the e scooter companies too, right? Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you're very literally full stack in the fullest sense of the word. You mentioned you provide also the hardware, not just the software. That's pretty impressive yeah so so that's spot on and of course i think you put your finger right on it uh, we uh we're an enabler right so companies uh have the desire to go into new mobility but a lot of them don't really know how or what they specifically want to do so uh, very early on and i and i like to say this that typically we know a project's going to happen you know, anywhere from a year to two years ahead of time, because, uh, you know, we're one of the first calls where companies are sort of looking to do something and they really want to know what's possible and what's within the realm of possibilities for, you know, the amount of money that they'd like to spend on something like this. Um, so, so we get in, uh, we get in the door typically pretty early uh, and we have initial meetings and, you know, not all meetings pan out, but, and typically it's going to be with a large organization that doesn't exactly know what they want to do. But they know that in time, they don't really have a choice but to be in this new mobility space in some way, shape, or form. So they're looking to launch, uh, whether it be kick scooters, whether it be mopeds, uh, cars, 
or, you know, the traditional type of car sharing, like a zip car type, uh, you know, with a ride hail layer on top where people are going to use the, uh, the vehicles for either Via or Lyft or Uber. Um, so people typically know they want to get into mobility in some way. They don't really know how they give us a call and then, you know, we kind of sit down and we can kind of help them map things out. Uh, in order for them to understand what's possible to do in six months, what's possible to do in 12, and what's possible to have three months, uh, three years from now. Sorry about that. Got it. Yeah, this is really interesting. I mean, especially for me individually, at least. So we, I, I recently uh, co-founded a firm that's focused primarily on autonomous vehicles and uh, mobility, broadly speaking. We haven't yet announced it yet. But um, so this is very kind of, Interesting to me to kind of talk to you now. The timing is pretty pretty spot on. I mean, the issue of mobility, though, is is a really curious thing. I mean, you talk about ride sharing generally, right? And to me, this is an altogether different thing simply to say, um, well, any sort of technology generally, right? So, so AV and ride sharing tend to go hand in hand. I think it's generally accepted that at least in the medium to long term, certainly, any AV company is going to be looking at ride sharing and any ride sharing company or indeed platform in your case has probably got at least half an eyeball on AV as well. A little more than half. But there you go. Okay. Well, I didn't want to <laughs> jump to conclusions, but yeah. And, and, and so, but, but even taking a step back from that though, the, the, the overarching concept of ride sharing though is still fundamentally, I think, and I guess this is more of a philosophical question or discussion, perhaps a bigger question for another time. I don't know. It's more of almost a social thing because um, just just thinking so much about the ways in which different parts of the world regard, well, private car ownership, for instance, right? And this notion that, oh, is ride sharing going to be somehow mutually exclusive with, with private car ownership? You look at what Elon has said, where he suggested that, for instance, once the Tesla fleet rolls out, then the actual cost to purchase a Model 3 could be what, one or, or I guess $200,000, something crazy, right? And, and so the question becomes from our point of view, from my point of view individually, how do you kind of, how do you answer the acceptance question? And the question being, how do you get people to kind of be okay with and to really embrace car sharing for the future? It's such a necessary thing for an autonomous future, if only for traffic issues, not to mention everything else besides. How do you tackle that? Yeah. Uh, wow. There's a lot to unpack there in what that, you just said. That, that's little, a mouthful of a yeah, question. Yeah. Very, very <laughs> exciting stuff. Um, but I guess maybe I'll start at at, at, the, at it from, uh, from this angle. Uh, there's two types of people in this world uh, when you're looking at the autonomous world. Um, you're looking at a fleet world or you're looking at a private ownership world, Right. Uh, a lot of companies right now that are uh, that are looking towards uh, towards this market, they're thinking about it either from a fleet perspective or they're thinking about it from a private ownership perspective. So you've got the uh, the peer to peer operators that are you know Turo, Getaround, that are fairly well known at least in the U.S. market. Uh, and right, those are the ones we have quite a bit here in SF. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, and, and I mean in. in frankly, most major cities at this point. Uh, and, you know, you've got companies that are expanding internationally and, you know, they're, they're ending up being platforms that are going to go head to head, much like Uber and Lyft in a variety of markets. So, so that's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is I want to be an operator and I'm not going to learn that much 
from operating other people's cars, right? Because the maintenance isn't going to be as much on me. Uh, the, 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 you know, vehicle life cycle isn't going to be so much on me. I'm, I'm purely depending on third party supply on that. But what if it were my cars and if it were my vehicles, and then I could learn, okay, how many miles do I really get per gallon in this, you know, per in this, in this urban environment? Uh, if it's a vehicle that's electric, how often do I really need to charge this car at scale when I've got a thousand vehicles running all over the city? Uh, what is the parking dynamic? Where do I really need to have these cars end up the, at the end of the day in terms of demand uh, to actually get these rides uh, going at, you know, at 6 a.m. in the morning or even a little earlier for those airport rides at 4 a.m.? Um, these are all things uh, that companies are asking themselves right now in the mobility space. And even when you add another layer or two is, can I layer in scooters uh, into one and the same platform in order to get to your point about user adoption, but to simplify the acquisition of these users that are going to come onto my platform? Because, you know, when you're looking at it from, from the face of the app, it might seem like the exact same thing to take a car or to take a, a, a kick scooter. But in fact, what you need to have a user on board on a kick scooter service is a phone number and a credit card. Whereas it's much more complex what you need to do to give that user a car because you need to check a driver's license. You probably need to check DMV records. Uh, you might need uh, one or two other steps uh, uh, that some of our customers do, but I won't go into them for confidentiality purposes. But this is, this is the kind of stuff that you start looking at when you actually put cars in people's hands. So if you're relying or if you're one that believes that the fleet, or at least it's going to be an intersection of private-owned vehicles and fleets, then the reality is that you probably need to get going today to realize what you're going to need five, ten years. You know, your guess is as good as mine on where this... Uh, these large scale ad fleets of autonomous vehicles actually do happen all over the world. Uh, but that's really what you need to be doing today. Uh, and, and gradually you're going to be growing into sort of that autonomous future. If you have that service kind of live right now, if you don't do that, frankly, you're going to be playing catch up or you risk missing, missing the boat or the train or whatever it is altogether. At Evernorth health services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, still, though, it's a... It's a um... Okay, so there's a there's a bunch of other sort of questions that come up with ride sharing, though, right? So thinking first of all to the the traffic issue, right? So one of the concerns is once you end up in a world with autonomous ride sharing, where the vehicles are indeed truly driverless, um, you know, there's this concern of of things like, well, what do you do with the increased traffic? As studies have shown that if you've got a bunch of empty pod cars driving around, then you're going to have worse traffic problems rather than less. It's sort of like it's kind of like a virtual version of adding lanes to a freeway, right? <laughs> you can add so many lanes, but it's just going to make traffic worse, right? Right. And but, so, you know, like, what do you, like, how are these tackles? Is it just simply sure. a matter of like an occupancy tax, that sort of a thing? Is it that simple? 
Well, okay. There, I guess there's even more things to unpack there. Uh, and, and we're looking at it from a very North American perspective here, uh, which I think is going to be, uh, it's probably going to be in effect for a number of years, but probably not forever. Uh, so there's two things. Uh, car share in its very nature changes your relationship with a vehicle. When you're taking car share to go from point A to point B, or even to go from point A to point back to point A over a period of time, whether it's you know an hour, a day, a weekend, a week, you are making a consumption decision every single time that you get in a car. So what ends up happening as a user is that you will change your patterns of consumption through time because you're making a conscious decision and that conscious decision affects your wallet directly, right? So odds are that if you do that, you're going to uh, consider some options that could be cheaper options, freer op- free options, or uh, maybe even some more expensive options at times, like, for example, wide hail after a, a crazy night at bars. Um, you, the, the data shows that when you're considering this, this uh, travel from point A to point B, you will be taking your car less often thus reducing the actual amount of traffic there in the streets. So it's, it's a big difference when you're considering private vehicle ownership and, uh, versus a car share because you will be diminishing the amount of cars that are driving around when you have car share at the macro level. Sorry, right? just, just to make sure I understand what you're saying. You're, you're suggesting that because as a matter of course, as a matter of fact, because every single time you do a trip with a shared car, you are necessarily paying per trip effectively. Exactly. That's just going to cause people to necessarily think twice before doing it. Oh, I'm, I'm not going to say necessarily. I'm saying uh, that. Or it's more likely cases, to, I guess. Exactly. In some cases it will. And uh-huh. even if it's 10 to 20% of the time that it does, huh. then it ends up being a win. Right. And, and so, the, and so that's one aspect of it. The second aspect of it is that slowly, but surely, uh, Cities are going to understand the economic cost of having these downtown areas that are clogged and the fact that people literally just cannot come into the city using their vehicles anymore. Uh, so we anticipate that uh, somewhere down the road, and I frankly don't have the answer whether it's going to be one year, whether it's going to be five years, but more and more cities in North America are starting to talk about it, is imposing ways to reduce traffic congestion in the way of uh, either you know, some areas of your city are not accessible by vehicle or outright, you need to pay to come into the downtown core. Uh, and, and something that we've seen uh, in Europe, really in many cities. At well, this London point, has this congestion charge. They've done London, it for a while. London now, right? has it. It's had it for a while. Uh, yeah. Madrid has it. Uh, and it's led to a, the creation of a crazy ecosystem for mobility in Madrid. Uh, I don't know if you've been there in the last few years, but forever, but it's, it's really changed the way that the city gets around because you've got four large car share services and a ton of these other services where essentially if you need to go from point A to point A to point B, uh, you can pretty much easily do so for like four bucks, even if it's pretty far, it's going to be an electric vehicle, whether it's a scooter or uh, a car. Uh, but at the end of the day, your carbon footprint's lower. The cost to you as a user is much lower and it's much faster to get there because the downtown area isn't clogged anymore. 
So yeah, so, so I haven't experienced Madrid, but I did just experience this uh, in Munich. I was there a couple of weeks ago, and yeah, I was pretty shocked. There's car share opportunities like every block. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And not only that, what really surprised me was um, seeing some of the rental agencies getting into it too. I saw a bunch of uh, what's that rental agency called? It's popular. Uh, Sixth. Sixth. Yep. yep. Sixth. Exactly. Um, they had a bunch of Sixth branded cars sitting all over the place too. I couldn't believe it. It was yeah. And, very and, cool. and it's interesting. You're absolutely correct that car rental uh, companies have a vested interest into this. Oh space. yeah. Well, I'm, they're, yeah. They're, they're kind of the go-to where you're thinking about okay, well, okay, they already have all the assets in place. They might as well just start doing this and have their brand and have their vehicles used by more people for more use cases. But there's a lot of other companies that have these synergies. Uh, and, and you might not know it when you're a tourist in a city, you know, just walking around and you're seeing stickers on cars and, oh, that's just another car share. Uh, but there's a lot of these companies. So whether you're talking about vehicle manufacturers, whether you're talking about insurance companies like, you know, CAA, AAA, or, you know, any of the other uh, insurance companies out there, uh, whether you're talking about oil and gas uh, companies that also have an interest in this because, you know, if we don't use gas in the same way that we do in 10 years, then their business is going to look a heck of a lot different. Uh, you've got fleet managers, you've got uh, a ton of startups, uh, whether they're, you know, big or small, uh, that have a, a vested interest in this game. So, so it's not just the car rental companies that are looking to do this. It really is kind of a global phenomenon with tons of companies that are potentially interested. And frankly, not just interested, but operating actively. Right. No, I hear you. Um, you know, and I know a little bird suggested you have a pretty cool announcement to share uh, with me this morning. But before we get to that, I mean, just looping back then to the overarching issue of acceptance. I mean, you know, I used to live in L.A., used to live in L.A., so I'm sure you see where I'm going with this. I mean, car ownership in L.A., is a very personal thing. And I'm just picking on LA because it's the easy one to pick on. Yeah, right, I mean, of course. Many cities where this is probably the case. But but I mean, like there there's there's I mean, putting aside the, the the emotional bond that a lot of people will have for their car generally. I mean, I I've certainly had that all my life with various cars. But besides that, there's just this notion, even for people who are not who, who don't really sort of identify as car people, so to speak, um, they, they still like this concept of having just their own car. And so even the idea of car sharing, I think would just be at best sort of a no-go and at worst kind of just kind of a repulsive idea. And I guess my question of the concept of acceptance is, what do you think, at, at least at a high level, like what do you think it takes to kind of really make acceptance uh, universal for car sharing in places where people just like to have their own car, full sure, stop. Sure. Um, I would say that oh, it has to be a, uh, oh, I guess there's two, probably two words. Uh, reliability. And when I say reliability, I don't mean that, you know, you turn your key in the ignition and the car starts. <laughs> what I mean right. is, more, is more the fact that when you need a car, you can rely on the fact that there's going to be one there. It's just there right? when you need it. Yep. Exactly. If there's, uh, if you know, the, the big thing about having a vehicle in your driveway is that, you know, you go down a couple of steps from your apartment or, you know, you get out of your house and that car is sitting right there all the time, no matter when you need it. So that's one thing. And the other thing is, is purely economics. Uh, you know, your vehicle is costing you what, 700 to 800 bucks a month, uh, yep. with include insurance and whatnot. Uh, whereas you could have an option that could be awfully interesting and it would end up being probably a quarter of the cost. 
Uh, and, you know, if you could have a, a vehicle that you have access to pretty much any time that you want, uh, that's unlimited access up to a certain point, I don't know, 50 hours, 60 hours a month. Uh, and that vehicle is, is there for you whenever you need it and accessible and reliable, then why wouldn't you consider a service like that? And it's interesting because I, I lived on the West side. I lived in, in West LA on uh, the corner of Armacost and Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and uh, parking was a problem. Uh, you know, we had our own parking, but parking was a problem anytime that anyone had to come for street parking because there wasn't that much available. You can't really, Santa Monica wasn't great to park on and, and Armacost, there really was never any, any parking there. Uh, if, if there's that shared vehicle, uh, sitting on the curb, then you don't essentially need to worry about that, right? Because that car is sitting there. Someone that leaves your house can just grab that car. And if it's free floating service, they can just go to their house and drop the car off relatively close to their house and walk away and never need to think about it again because some other user is going to come and take it. No, I get it. Look, I mean, it makes perfectly good sense, but I wonder whether it's the same kind of phenomenon that we've seen with electric cars generally. The studies have shown, for instance, that you know people who've already owned or even just test driven an electric car they're like what 90 percent more likely to buy one or recommend one those who have not they're like what 10 (laughs) percent and i'm guessing it might be the same thing here so how do you get into the vehicle so that's a that's a good question and frankly the best way to do so the best way to get people to try it is economic incentive no of course of course yeah go for it well, I mean, so just to pick on a particular uh, company by name, I mean, because I tried them once too in DC, GM's Maven service. Yep. Like, why? Like, I've I've heard that that's kind of scaled back from a few cities now. It hasn't kind of taken off the way they expected. I, I actually really loved it. Look, just to be clear, to your point about economics, um, the only reason my wife and I used it in DC was you're right. It, it didn't make economic sense for more than I want to say, even twelve hours, let alone a full day, compared to say like an Enterprise or Hertz or whatever. Yeah, probably compared just to enterprise, right. um, but like, uh, but 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 for like the six hours or so that we needed it to go from, I, I want to say DC to somewhere in Maryland, um, it was super cost efficient and it was mm-hmm. easy. Like we just went to like a local uh, hotel in Georgetown, I guess, to the valet parking, picked it up, drove it, came back, didn't have to deal with insurance, didn't have to deal with with, with gas, and not only that, the actual dollar amount that you saw when you booked it, that was like the actual final thing you paid. There was not sort of any yeah. additional garbage slapped on yeah. it. You know what I mean? So yeah, so I, I really loved it. And admittedly, it was my first, and weirdly enough to this day, my only experience with any sort of car sharing whatsoever of any kind. Right. But, but I think it's an interesting, frankly, if only academically, right? It's kind of an interesting business case study. Like, do you have any insight into this? Like, why has Maven not taken off? Sure. Uh, so one thing that you need to keep in mind for, for Maven is that you're talking about an old um, model for car share. It's a, it's a static model, a round trip schedule based uh, mo- model whereby you need to That's serve true. the car a long yep. time in advance. That's a good point. Whereas the world today is an instant access world, right? But it's, it's an instant access world today, but it's an instant access world where you need to have that, again, that reliability, right? So is it, what you need to launch in this day and age is from our standpoint, it, and the data proves in the put in here uh, with, with all the data that we have access to, you need to make sure that you have that dependability, that reliability. And sometimes that goes through a mix of being able to 
uh, reserve a vehicle and have instant access to it. Now, everybody's used to the, the Uber way, I guess, of doing the quote unquote reservation, where essentially all it does is you say at 8 a.m. I want a vehicle. Well, it starts calling a vehicle at 8 a.m., right? Uh, the, the, the way that, for example, uh, our system has been developed, it enables you to do things like make that reservation of a long time in advance and be able to guarantee that a vehicle is going to be there. And I'm not going to go into too much detail as to how we do that. But uh, in exchange for a fee, you can have access to that car and guarantee accessibility to that user. So, so this is just one of 50 examples of things that you can do as an operator to increase the, I, I guess, the allure of your service. Uh, and if you do, and if you put enough of those incentives in place and enough of those use cases that are covered, then the data really shows from the different services that we power that users will come to your service. And not only that, but once your user is acquired and in your ecosystem, you got to get that user to use it for as much as you possibly can, right? So, so Maven, uh, they probably had a few problems to come back to your, your question. Uh, they didn't necessarily have the biggest footprint. They were in a lot of markets, but they didn't, ex they didn't necessarily have the largest coverage in many of these markets. So uh, in a lot of markets, they were there, but they were there with a couple dozen cars, Uh, the way that we see the future, you need to have coverage of a number of hundreds of vehicle in a given market for you to truly be reliable. And when you're reliable and people only have to walk, what, maximum 500 yards to get to your car at any point in time, then what's really the difference between having your own personal vehicle and having that vehicle that's there? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Right. No, that makes perfectly good sense. I mean, you're absolutely right. I, I totally get it. I mean, at the end of the day, the point is that for car sharing to really work and indeed to be, uh, I guess, an attractive alternative to private ownership, or let's face it, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. You can still own absolutely your own car. Not. And indeed, at the end of the day, the point is it has to be no different really to walking to the street corner and grabbing a, a scooter, for instance, right? Sure. I mean, and, and, it, and it goes with a lot of other trends, right? Millennials yeah. and uh, even the younger generation. Oh, yeah, for sure. To, yeah. They, 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 they live in increasingly dense and environments yep. where it's going to cost more and more to put your your vehicle and i mean downtown la let's take downtown la for example right uh when i left la in 2011 downtown looked nothing like it oh, looks yeah. like now yeah, right? yeah for sure with yeah. towers everywhere and yeah. big buildings everywhere that don't necessarily have the number of parking spots that yeah. uh that they that they necessarily need or that people for example on the west side have access to so when you're looking at all the costs of living downtown and the necessity that you have really for that vehicle, things start adding up and you start coming to a point where, frankly, it doesn't necessarily make sense for you to have your own car if you need it you know, 20, 25 times a month. And what you end up doing is you end up going to, I don't know, your friend's house in Culver City, or uh, obviously if you're going for work and you need it for work, it's probably a different reality. But when you're able as an operator to cover many potential use cases, you end up doing so uh, in a way 
that is much more convenient somewhere down the road with a car share because you're able to cover to many use cases. But you've got to have a platform that's flexible. You've got to have a way for uh, your operations to run in a number of different ways. And that's the kind of stuff that, you know, frankly, uh, not all vehicles in the vehicle sharing platform, excuse me, uh, have. Right. Uh, and I guess that brings me to the next point uh, is, is what we're what we're announcing uh, today. Uh, and uh, th- we are indeed announcing a service in Los Angeles. Uh, and we are very excited about it. And especially if you look at the fabric of Los Angeles, uh, there are certain areas in the city that have the combination of very high population density, uh, very high cost of housing, and uh, d- I guess more expensive access to parking. Uh, and these, when you put all these things together, you start getting to a point where, okay, car share as a model actually does kind of make sense. If you combine that with, uh, uh, I guess, city regulation in place in order for you to do a number of things like uh, free floating, things like that, then you get to a place where uh, uh, having a service that would uh, be quite successful uh, it's not a foreign concept anymore. It's something that very well could happen. And in fact, uh, we are hoping will happen in the next few months. So we're, we're launching a service uh, with a company called Motion Labs. Uh, the service is called Motion Car Share. Uh, and it's going to be launched later this year in Southern California. All right. Well, what can you, uh, I mean, I'm excited. What, what, what can you share with us now? Well, uh, frankly, I, I can share where Motion Lab comes in with us uh, as, a, as a company more so than what Motion Lab is going to be doing on the streets of LA. Uh, so, so Vlog, we've had a lot of, um, we've had a, a big year, frankly, in, in 2019. And I'll take it back a little bit more towards the, the company uh, stuff. Uh, so it's been a big year for us with, uh, with OEMs. It's been a big year uh, overall, really. Uh, the beginning of the year was marked by uh, an important event where we started launching multi-service uh, fleets. Multi-service meaning that uh, you know we can have kick scooters, we can have mopeds, we can have cars, electric vehicles, and whatnot, all of it on the same platform and on the same app. Um, the second really big milestone was that we worked with an OEM. We worked with Group Renault in France uh, to produce a car-share-ready car. Uh, so the vehicles roll off off the line and they're ready to be connected to a car share platform, namely ours. Uh, so a couple of clicks from a company or an operation standpoint and the vehicle is online and you're able to, uh, to have those vehicles shared anywhere in the world. Uh, so that's a pretty, pretty big accomplishment for us uh, somewhere this year. The other one that was another big OEM one uh, is that we launched uh, Madrid, uh, sorry, not Madrid, but Volkswagen service in uh, Berlin, which was uh, 1,500 electric vehicles. Was this the the Weep? Yeah, service? exactly. Uh, so, okay. So this is a yeah. See, I, I had no idea you guys were behind that. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. So, so that's yeah. a that's a big one for sure, uh, and it's one that that got a lot of that got a lot of press, and will have an increasingly important footprint. So. Uh, good stuff coming there from from Europe. Now, now this one, uh, the reason why it's exciting is that we're leveraging our full AMA platform. So just to, to give you a little bit more insight, uh, our platform is now in the third version of the platform. We, we, we built it up the first time. We hit a big wall. We realized we if we wanted to have tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of cars, wasn't good enough. So we did it a second time. 
hit another wall. Uh, and then we redid it a third time. And the third time's a charm, as they say, uh, because we're able now to launch projects in uh, markets like L.A., and be completely unafraid of the scalability, be completely unafraid of what you'll need to connect to uh, this platform. And uh, you know, so we've got a white label app uh, that, that is uh, part of the service that is gonna be branded for motion car share. Uh, we're gonna have um, uh, our back office tools that are gonna be used and the IoT stuff to connect the vehicles to the core platform are also ours. Uh, so it should be a really fun adventure uh, starting when it starts, uh, but it will be starting in 2019. Well, this is awesome. I'm uh, pretty thrilled, pretty honored uh, you're able to share this uh, with us today on the podcast here. So thanks for that. Um, no with problem. respect for your time, I know we've kind of exceeded it quite a bit already. Um, I wanted to kind of then loop back to, to a question. You know, we were talking about this this idea of, it seems to me if you extend the idea of car sharing to its logical conclusion, where you've got effectively ubiquity, so every street corner effectively, <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, whether somebody's getting into a bus or a train or a shared car or an Uber, it seems to me that there's an argument to be made where cities would actually have an incentive to get involved in this um, very, very, very directly so, right? So, like, I mean, cities are investing in, well, buses and trains. Like, is there any reality where cities start to invest in basically buying up or at least supporting car share networks as an alternative to existing bus and other transit sort of devices yeah and it's it's interesting uh, i guess cities can get active in the space in a number of ways uh, well, alternatively i first, should say why wouldn't they right well right and, and i mean i guess you're you're a, if you're a city um administration uh local government uh you can create a permit system uh that would be very very cheap in order to foster these initiatives that would uh that, that would essentially grow within your city. And it makes all the sense in the world because of what we were talking about earlier, that every single time someone consumes transport from point A to point B, they're going to be thinking about what's the best way for me to get there in the most uh, efficient way and affordable way. So yes, of course, building a system permit is good. But when you're talking about potentially acquiring or at least merging them into uh, transit, there's a few, uh, there's a few cities that have done so. Uh, if you're looking, for example, at uh, Vancouver, not exactly the same way that they've done it, but they've worked on a partnership where uh, public transit is partnering with the local operators of car share. They don't own them, but it's, it's a partnership whereby um, you can pay. Uh, and I'm not so familiar with the, all the specifics, but you can have, for example, your transit pass and your transit pass enables you to get into the, all the vehicles in the city. So uh, all the vehicles that are that are shared, you can get into them with your transit pass. So, so there's ways that you can do integrations without, uh, I guess, acquiring these services uh, that you can really integrate these things to a very high level. And that's the stuff that we're starting to see more and more of even in North America. And L.A. is a perfectly good example. Mayor Garcetti is, is one of the leaders uh, in the space. He's now going to preside over the C40 uh, which is a, a group of cities that are forward-looking and that want to foster these initiatives that are going to enhance the life of the people that live there. They're trying to get to work and you know go on their leisure way and bring the kids to soccer practice and whatnot over the weekend. So uh, yes, absolutely, city administrations. And frankly, in the U.S. specifically, there's still a lot of room for improvement on the city level. 
Well, this is awesome. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, look, to LA's credit, I've been saying for quite some time now that I'm really impressed the extent to which, the degree to which they're really kind of pushing forward, trying to improve everything. So really, this this announcement uh, from you guys working with Motion Labs, is it, right? Um, th- this right. is this is very cool indeed. So I'll be keeping my eyes and ears open. And uh... So just so you're aware, Motion Lab is M-O-C-E-A-N. So not motion. Ah, like a motion, motion. Uh, like the motion, right. <laughs> like or the ocean. <laughs> so M ocean. Got That's it. Right. Got it. Uh, yeah. Feel free to Google it. <laughs> got it. Very cool. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, so to that extent, uh, you know, I'd be more than happy to welcome you back on the on the show to see how things kind of progress with uh, your deployments uh, in LA. Um, but uh, until then, Alex, thank you so much for being here on the podcast. Really great to have you. And. Uh, Anytime, Mark. Thanks for having me and uh, feel free to give me a call whenever you need anything. Sounds good. Thanks very much. Have a good evening. Bye-bye. Take care. All right. Well, that's a wrap. Before you go, don't forget that on Friday, we've got another very special guest coming up. It's Stuart Norris. He's the Director of Design for the Advanced Mobility and Experience Studio at GM. And I've got a very special announcement that I cannot wait to share with you. So until then, have a wonderful rest of the week. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye.